Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Monday. It's a very special Parastyle Podcast. I know the schedule's been a little off as uh, we get into fall camp, but we've got the coach, Harvey Hyde, back on the show. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com, to check out all of his content. But now we got fall camp back, got to see the coach out over the weekend at USC, checking out fall camp practice number two. There have been two practices in the books, and we start again this week. There'll be practices every day this week, Monday through Saturday. So a lot going on around USC. So we wanted to bring the coach back in and talk about all of that. Before we jump in with him, I just want to let everyone know if you have questions or comments for the show. I know we had a lot of questions piled up, so we'll try to get to all of those. And uh, you know, keep keep sending them. We appreciate that. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call us or text us at 424-254-9141. And then if you have... The Apple Podcasting app, we do appreciate a follow. Leave a five-star rating, any kind of review that you have for the show, comments, feedback, suggestions. We love to hear from you, but leave us those five stars. It does help to grow the show and build our audience as we head into the season. We expect it to be continuing to build. And part of the reason why is because we get to talk to people like Coach Harvey High has been doing this a very long time. Coach, how are you doing today, sir? Well, I'll tell you what, Ryan. First of all, it was great seeing you on Saturday. It really was. Everybody was in disguise with hats, masks, sunglasses, so it was hard to recognize everybody. But it was great to figure out who everybody was and see everybody back in the playpen and back in the uh, swimming center to overlook the practice field and get ready for fall camp. And we were there. It was exciting. And uh, everyone's excited because uh, when you have the first, uh, well, like when we have our first podcast today, we're excited. We're back after a summer break. We've been reading the publications and watching old films and watching the preseason uh, NFL football things that are going on. So it's exciting to be back. Uh, we took a little bit of a break. And now it's time to talk Trojan football. It's definitely time to talk some Trojan football. And, uh, you know, we took a break and uh, we're back now. So with uh, fall camp starting up, they got 25 practices to get ready for the highly anticipated 2021 season. Before we jump into all the topics and questions, just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been uh, great to us over the years. I just had a nice Trader Joe's meal last night. I was driving home from the beach coach and I was like, you know, I want to do a little grilling. You buy those pre-marinated uh, steak tips, the rosemary steak tips. I love those things. Pop them on the grill. I bought some uh, some asparagus and just steamed those up and some some red potatoes that they had there at Trader Joe's and made some mashed potatoes. A great quick meal. But I also like to get stuff like you know the frozen stuff where you can really do it fast, like the dumplings. I love those too. But lots of great stuff at Trader Joe's as we keep going through the summer. Had stock up on my wine collection a little bit too, so they have some great options that are highly economical and they taste really good. So make sure you guys go check out Trader Joe's, especially got tailgating season coming up. Coach, tailgating season coming up. Can you believe that people can go to Trader Joe's and pick up stuff for their tailgates? Well, I tell you what, if you'd have told me, I'd have driven down there for dinner last night. I tell you, that sounded pretty good. 
It's some good stuff there. Yeah, I, lo- I love going there. So, But anyway, you know, hopefully you guys can go check it out. And uh, don't forget there's that one over at USC at the USC Village. If you want to do the pre-tailgating stuff, uh, there's going to be limited tailgating around USC. So uh, make sure you get your permits and hopefully you guys can enjoy uh, all the times at the Coliseum with the seven home games this season. Uh, all right. Well, Coach, hard, uh, fall camp started. I got to see your your buddy Chuck out there for the first couple. I saw you out there over the weekend as well. Pretty hot, <laughs> I guess you could say, uh, out there watching. And it's a little different format. We can watch from the field for the first 50 minutes. And then we go up top to the Aquatic Center and check it out from up there. Um yeah, it's a, it's a it's a bird's eye view. I, I kind of like doing that. What were your overall thoughts? Just uh, how practice kind of changed a little bit. Well, um, I don't know if the practice actually changed. They are doing exactly the same thing in the, mostly the same areas. Uh, the uh, location, I like that as far as being up close for a little bit. Then I like going up to the press box where you can see the entire field and be able to see more of the entire area and watch the whole uh, scene, I like the end zone view camera. I like that better than when you're on the sideline, uh, Ryan. You really don't see that much. That's why they put the coordinators normally up in the press box where they're not distracted. They can see the whole field, the splits, uh, the coverages, the alignments, and so on. You can't do that when you're on the sideline. And in our area where we stand, it's very difficult to watch things as they move up and down the field. So I really like where they put us. Uh, I told that to Tim Tesselon. I like it up here, and I hope they don't change it. Yeah, it seems like that's where they're going to go with And we could actually report on what we see up there uh, in camp during the season. Um, it won't be uh, as much. They don't want the re- stuff getting out of what's going on at practice as they're getting ready for games. But it gives you a good opportunity to kind of check it out. There's a lot of new bodies um, you know, on the field. We saw new pl- new faces in the spring. There's even more. Uh, in the summer, there's tra- you know, a lot of transfers, more than we've seen before. Um, incoming freshmen, you got a lot of guys that are just on the team, the super seniors, people that you know have returned. Uh, they their eligibility would have been up, but for COVID, they get you know an extra year. That's a pretty deep group. Maybe we could start on the offensive side of the ball, coach. Anything that stood out to you? I mean, Keen Slovis is Keen Slovis. We got to see a couple freshman quarterbacks, but there's a bunch of new faces at running back. Uh, you know, new faces at wide receiver, no Brew McCoy because uh, of his suspension uh, from the team. Um, you know, the the wide receivers are, you know, you got some transfers, you got some new faces like we talked about. Uh, and the offensive line, you know, that we they mixed it up the first couple of days. We don't, we're not sure what that starting five is going to be. I think we have a pretty good idea of who the best eight or nine are and they're going to, you know, battle it out. But, and, you know, the tight ends, as well, there's some big bodies out there. So wherever, whatever tickles your fancy, Coach, on the offensive side of the ball, I'd love to go with it. Well, i tell you what. I think uh, right now there's a lot of evaluation going on. And uh, should I transfer it here? That's what the, the players are saying as far as the portal players that came in. Can I play here? Are the players better than what I anticipated? Or was this a good mood, a move for me? I know that's going through all the players' minds. And I know the coaches are making the same type of evaluation well, we should have taken this guy. We shouldn't have taken that guy because he really doesn't add to our arsenal, whether it's a receiver or running back or an offensive lineman. doesn't make any difference. There's a lot of evaluation that's going on now, and there's a lot of upbeat and good attitude right now because I think that the new players are trying to impress the old players of who they are. And uh, I think the coaches are, are excited because it's so, I've been, you know, it's only the second day of practice. 
So they're excited about everything that's going on. The competition is good and keen now. You've got a lot of new players on the field, so you see a lot of different things that players are bringing in as far as attitude and the rest of it. So, you know, some players finish the drill. Some of the Porter, Porter, uh, Porter players or players that transfer in, you see them bringing a little bit of what they learned at the school they were as far as finishing a drill or doing it a different way. And I like evaluating all of that. Very difficult to evaluate the offensive line because they're really at a disadvantage when they do run drills and so on. They have they don't have pads on, so how can they block anybody? And you know everything gets clogged up in there, and it's very difficult as far as you can't hit anybody or do anything. So you can't really evaluate the upfront people really, but you can evaluate a little bit of the one on ones and the seven on sevens and the quickness of the players and what's going on in special teams. So you can evaluate that. So I think it all comes down to, I think the quarterback situation is good as far as Solis, as far as he stays healthy. I think he was throwing the ball really well. I think uh, there's no question he has more velocity in his ball and zip in it and really throws the fade route just perfect. I mean, he really does a very difficult pass to, to cover, and they work on it an awful lot. And uh, I think the running backs uh, look sharp. Uh uh, I like a couple of these transfers and a young kid Campbell that came in and and the kid from TCU and uh, so we'll just see what happens. But it's difficult. Everybody looks good in shorts. Yeah. It's when it gets down to the real contact is when you find out who's a football player. Yeah, I think it makes sense, Coach. And uh, you know, I, I think the the practice we went to together uh, there was offensive players available and we got to talk to a lot of the the people on that side of the ball just getting a feel for what's going on. I talked to Mike Jenks for quite a while and it was interesting. You know, he still wants to get um, the top two running backs in there. Uh, Darwin Barlow, he's the transfer from TCU. He loves his first step. He says he's really explosive for a bigger back. That's like 220 pounds. Um, uh, Keontae Ingram was really impressive in the spring and we got to see more of him. Jenks told me he's changed his body completely. And, you know, Vivai Malapai. Uh, you know, he's the veteran back there wearing number six now. So if you're watching for 29, no longer 29, he's 20, he's number six. Um, so, you know, watch those guys. Keen Kristen's another one, you know, the speedster. He wasn't around the spring uh, because he was doing track, but no Stephen Carr, no Marquis Stepp. Um, so it's a different looking running back room. But uh, like, you know, what we saw, I, you know, I've been impressed so far. I, I think both the transfers, uh, they both look good to me. I agree with you. I liked him. I liked the way they both ran as far as uh, not in pads. And uh, Malapi, you can't keep him out of the game. Because if there's a leader on offense, I would say the two leaders on offense are Malapi and uh, London. If you would ask me right now, a person asked me that question, they said, who would be your leaders on offense, Coach, right now, if you looked at leadership and you look for leadership? I would say London because of what he brings to the game as far as in, in, in his intensity and what it means to him, you can see after he catches the ball what those extra yards mean, and you don't want to tackle him. And Malapai brings that same type of attitude. I wouldn't want to fight him. I wouldn't want to tackle him. And he gives you that extra effort. Because I, I, I really like those two, and I think Malapai has got to be a part of the offense somewhere. Yeah, I think he will be. And, uh, you know, Jigs told me, like, if there's like a third or fourth guy that's just screaming to get on the field, just like they have to get him on. They'll do more, but he really wants to get a top two. 
Um, you know, I think we'll know more about the offensive line as we watch with pads come on. They should have pads on Monday, today for the first time, and then full pads on Wednesday because you have to have that acclimation period. But for the receivers, um, I don't think I, I think the first day on Friday we got to see more of Kyle Ford. He made some great catches. Didn't do as much on Saturday, um, but guys like Gary Bryant Jr. I thought played well. Uh, to see a guy like Taj Washington, the transfer from Memphis. He's got a lot of speed. Joseph Manjack, maybe the most underrated receiver, uh, number 14 out there, uh, three-star kid, and just looks the part. Like, he just looks like he can play. And uh, it's funny. I talked to Gary Bryant. I'm like, what do you like about, you know, who do you like about the new guys? The first name he mentioned was Manjack. Um, you know, Michael Jackson from last year had some some good plays. Uh, of course, Drake London uh, is a stud. But there's a there's a lot of skill guys out there, coach. That there's choices, and for the last few years we've had set guys. You know, it could be an Amon Ross St. Brown or Tyler Vaughn's guys that just had their positions. You didn't really do much else. They're like those are the guys. We're not these guys could move inside out. There's different things they could do in this air raid. Is Drake London going to be outside exclusively? He says he can play both. Uh, I talked to Gary Bryant Jr. You think he'd be a great slot guy, um, but he's played outside too, and the they're doing a lot of things. So it seems like they have a lot of options there. Maybe some tough decisions for Kerry Colbert to make coach. Cause it's not like the, here's a lineup. Like we know it's going to be, especially with, you know, Brew McCoy, who you've penciled in at the number two spot, uh, not being there. I agree with you. And you're not even mentioning the tight ends and the tight ends uh, on USC's offense is actually basically receivers. I mean, there's slot guys, outside guys and, I really think uh, that uh, those guys can really add to it, too. So if you were to ask me anything, they have too many receivers as far as making them all happy and keeping them on the field. This kid out of Liberty High School in, in Vegas, number 13, Jack, uh, Jackson, I really like him. And John Jackson, he's a great player. and You never hear about him. He can play. There's a lot of guys out there that can play. So it's finding how you're going to get them playing time and if they're willing to share the playing time, because you can't continually rotate players into the game, because it becomes, in the passing game, there's a lot of timing and recognition and getting to know your receivers, no matter what route you throw to them, or who's doing what on certain uh, plays. And you can look at them, they look at your back, they know exactly, they read your mind on what you're trying to tell them. Now, if you start throwing a lot of players in there all the time, it really does complicate the timing and and uh, all the things that a quarterback has to communicate with his receivers. So I, I really don't know what they're going to do, but I'm not big on rotating a lot of receivers as I'm not big <clears throat> excuse me, on rotating a lot of offensive backs. Yeah, because I think the backs have the same thing they have to learn as far as picking up blitzes. They have to run a running play and say, well, it didn't work last time because of this. I'll, it'll work this time if I do that. So I really believe that you have to have a rhythm on the offensive side of the football, just like you have to have the same rhythm in your offensive line. They have to work together play after play after play they get the timing down and they, they sort of look at each other and know exactly what they're thinking. So if anything, as far as the re receivers are concerned, I mean, the, the Washingtons who are freshman All-Americans, these guys that come in, the Nixons, the guys from Colorado, hey, they just look like 
any ordinary guy out there. They don't look any different than Bryant. They don't look any different than some of the players that are already there. To me, they're, they're great players there. So uh, that's the way I look at some of these players that have come in. Did they really need them? Yeah. Um, well, we'll see. Let's see how it shakes out. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of dudes on scholarship right now. And like you said, there's only one football to go around. So how is this going to work? So that'll kind of shake itself out. Um, let's go on the defensive side of the ball. For a little bit, we can start up front. Um, the depth uh, we talked to Clay Hilton on Friday. The depth at uh, the on the defensive line is probably his biggest area of concern. He likes the the players they have there, but certainly they don't have the same kind of depth where you can go three or four deep in a lot of positions right now at USC. Defensive line, especially defensive tackle, uh, isn't one of those. Um, you know, with departures like Marlon Tuipilotu and Jay Tufele. Um, you know, those guys go on the NFL. Brandon Peely lost the season. The only other veteran, really, an interior defensive lineman with an injury. And then a guy like Jay Toya, who could have been a starter and, you know, inexplicably transfers to UCLA. They're going to rely on um, some young guys, especially at the defensive tackle spot. You thought like a, a blue chip guy like Ismail Softshire, who transfers in from Alabama would be a big part of it, but he's not going to be able to participate for a while. And uh, maybe he'll be ready by the start of the season. He had compartmental syndrome uh, surgery um, and, you know, it's uh, on both legs and it's been uh, a long kind of road to recovery for him. So they're going to rely on guys like, you know, Dijon Benton and Kobe Pepe in the middle. Um, they might have to, to switch things up on the front, you know, because there's just not as much, depth there I mean you got more depth I think in places like on the defensive end spot but I don't know I they, they might have to get creative I know you don't get to see too much from them but any thoughts on the defensive line coach well first of all the kid they lost it transferred to UCLA I think that if I was to pick a kid uh, as far as in spring practice it was the biggest surprise and did such a great job I think it was him I was very disappointed when I saw him leave UCLA or you leave for UCLA uh, I think that now somebody else has to step up. Those things happen. I look at it when I used to tell my team, well, he had a season uh, injury that uh, he's going to be gone for the season or maybe his career. So I don't want people to think like, oh, he's going to go somewhere else. But they're going to play against him, and he's going to be a great player someday. But, again, you can't dwell on those type of things. And, you know, I think Coach Helton's got a little bit uh, greedy here. You're three or four at linebacker. You're – I don't know, maybe five at secondary. You got so many 19th secondary players and running backs and so on that if you're two or two and a half deep, as far as in the defensive line, I think you got pretty good uh, depth. You don't have a, uh, got players get more rotations. Uh, players get in better shape. Uh, players get ready to play sooner because they know they're going to have an opportunity to play so they don't stand around and watch and, Mope and and think uh, that they'll never have an opportunity. So you got to reverse that and make that something. Hey guys, this is it. We're going to play, and maybe you'll have the opportunity to play if you show us you deserve the play. I think they've got probably maybe better quality of player, uh, quicker players that maybe they had before, especially at the defensive ends, as saw as with uh, Jackson and Foreman and some other linebackers and defensive ends when you talk about, you know, kids coming back and Figueroa and so on, where they'll be able to put some pretty good players on this field. 
And uh, these players will grow up in a hurry. They're, they're going to learn how to shave in a hurry. And you tell them that this is part of what it is, and we're going to uh, find someone who can play there. So, you know, yeah, you can't play the poor me thing on this. you got to say, this is what we have, and this is what we're going to do. As far as the Alabama kid is concerned, you mentioned him. You know, you really don't leave Alabama, or Nick Saban doesn't let anybody leave Alabama for just any reason, especially if he, you know, is a great player and so on. This kid was a great player coming out of high school. But he's got some leg problems, and now here you were depending on him, and did you do your homework on this? Did you know about this before you took him? Were you depending on somebody that was a maybe? These are all the things you have to think about because when you talk about maybe, maybe not, you can't really count on him. So he's not really there as far as what I'm considering as far as a a player that's going to play for me this year. There's a lot of things he has to prove. He's got to get back in shape. He can't, you know, he's been out. He didn't have a spring practice. So he's like a guy that uh, isn't there to me until he's ready to play and show that he can play. Now, obviously, he was a great player. But right now, I can't count on him as far as getting ready to play and what we're expected to do this season. So that's how I feel about the defensive line without getting to each individual. And I can't do that as far as technique-wise. Because, Ryan, you know as well as I do, until we see a scrimmage or until we see a game, we don't really have the opportunity of seeing the defensive line at all from where they are on the practice field. Yeah, they're pretty far away, and they're doing individual drills. And and Softshore, who you mentioned, is doing individual drills, but won't be doing some of the team stuff for a while. Uh, We'll see. We'll keep following that. Um, Linebacker position coach, again, some departures there and uh, a lot of different bodies we haven't seen drake jackson uh yet he was in uh like a health protocol so essentially a covid kind of protocol for him you know we expect to see him back but you know he's still got guys like hunter eccles out there um solomon tuyal poopoo we we definitely want to see him inside somewhere and just have it <laughs> we just haven't seen him yet um you know he's you know still coming back and we just, we just he's just another person that's not been available i don't think you can really rely on someone like that. But any thoughts uh, from watching anything on the uh, the linebacker crew? Yeah, uh, first of all, I think you've got good linebackers. I mean, you've got guys, you've got depth. Uh, I think that you've got some good young kids that can play. Uh, guys that have stepped up when players weren't there last year. They've got a lot of playing experience, some of these kids. And I, I love some of the new kids that have come in. They're going to have to develop and become players right away. You look at the great players that play. Yeah, around the country as freshmen. But these players are players that are returning and they've got great talent. They can step in there. They can step in there and play. So you can't really say they're young, they haven't played. If you're a great player, you're going to play. Take the kid at Oregon. Take the kids at Alabama. Take the kids around the country. Hey, hey, kids, step up there. It's time for you to play. you got an early shot. That's great for you. So, you know, on Jackson, it sort of concerns me. Always, only because he misses a lot on some type of sickness or something that's going on, where he misses. He missed it in the spring. He missed it now. He's supposed to be one of my leaders, and they say some type of sickness or whatever. What is it? What's wrong? I mean, I need that guy out here. I need him to become a leader. I need him to be my player. And they don't say much about exactly what it is, but I need him out there being a part of my team. 
So, you know, these are the questions we can't get answers for. But as a head football coach, those are the things that would be concerning me as far as getting my players on the field, my players that are supposed to be playing, and getting them to teach and lead my younger players to be players like them. And I think Foreman needs him out there, too, and Figueroa might go over and play his spot right now, but that takes him away from the spot he's supposed to be playing. So those are these, these are the type of things you got to look at. And, and I'll tell you, Todd Orlando makes a difference on the defensive side of the football and the defensive staff. They're upbeat. They're enthusiastic. They take no you-know-what prisoners. I love the way he demands discipline. I love the way he says, "You when you run on the field, you run on the field, you run off the field, and if they don't run on the field, he stops practice. He puts it back on the line. They all, 11 of them, run in at the same time. So on the defensive side, you see great intensity, and you see the coaches with the great intensity, the things you need to see on the defensive side of the football. And that's a complete different philosophy than what you have on the offensive side. On the offensive side, you've got more of a layback type of offense uh, philosophy. That's among the coaches, the players, and everything. You don't hear much discipline or hollering or, or toughness type of thing. Not that they're soft, because we haven't been able to to see what's going to happen. But, you know, you got to have an upbeat. you got to have what I call an enforcer. As a player, an enforcer, as a coach, that demands that type of stuff. And uh, so I'm waiting to see just what the reaction is right now. Right now, the offense doesn't have a chance as far as with the defense without pads on. They can't block anybody or do anything. So it's hard to see that. But I'd love to see that type of energy being stressed now rather than later. But you can't bring that later. It's got to start now. And Todd is doing that on the defensive side. I'd love to see more of that. On the offensive side, as far as the intensity and the and what we're at, what we're trying to accomplish, and do this again and do it right, damn it, and these type of things. Yeah. Uh, all right, coach. Um, any we we get to see some special team stuff. Um, we get to see you know guys like Gary Bryant returning punts. I talked to him a little about his special teams work we're seeing some of the new faces out there like a Sierra right uh you know returning some kicks and um you know Taj Washington the speedy receiver transfer anything to kind of stand out on the special team side no uh we uh, we're able to watch the uh, punt returns they work on that and kickoff returns at our end of the field where we watch practice I, I don't think they have any problem with uh the speed guys as far as returning the punts or kickoffs I think the main thing they have to do, first of all, is catch the football, know where they are in the field so they never put their team in a bad position. And then when they get up the field, they've got to hit the seam. They've got to learn to have vision. And these kids have vision. But they've got to learn to have vision to see what's in front of them and the positioning that the blockers have on the defensive players. So they don't run into the block. They help set up the block for their blocker by the way they run. And I think that's what you call finishing the drill. So they take off right, they go up the field, but then set up the block so that the blockers that are doing your blocking for you on the punt return or the kickoff return have a better opportunity of blocking someone rather than you run into the way 
uh, the direction the guy's being blocked. So I think that comes along, and I know Sean uh, Snyder is one of the best in the world out there, so I don't have to tell him how to coach special teams. Yeah, uh, I you know, I think he's trustable. Um, I mean, I, I've just been impressed with what he was doing. Their efficiency went way up last year. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, of issues there uh, with Sean Snyder. We actually uh, get to talk to defensive players and special teams after Monday's practice, so maybe we'll get an update from uh, Sean Snyder uh, around that. Uh, we have a couple of questions about the team. I thought we'd do that first, Coach, before we uh, take a break. Um, on the for the linebackers, we got a text message um, about Rayshon Davis. He says he you got to get him on the field this year. I can see him playing nickel. He reminds me a lot of uh, another modern day player in Matt Grudegood. Can cover the slot and blitz. Um, I don't know if you got to see much of Rajon Davis out there. Certainly a highly ranked player in this recruiting class. Any thoughts on that, Coach? Well, I, I think he was a great player in high school. I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of odd a little bit probably as far as seeing the type of players he's around. And he he does. He could be a Matt Grudegood. Gre- Gre- uh, I can't pronounce his name. But I'll tell you, he's a hell of yeah. a player. I'm a, yeah, good. He was a hell of a player. If he's if he's a player like him, he'll get on the field. Nobody has to worry about that. But uh, you know, he'll have to wait his turn and make some plays and prove that he should be on the field. And I think he certainly does have an opportunity. It's one of those type of players I talked about earlier that if a freshman's the best player, he ought to be on the field. Don't save your athletes. Believe me, get your athletes on the field. You've always heard me say. Hey, if a guy's a better football player, identify that and get your best get your best 11 or best 22 players playing. So if he's one of the best, he should be out there. I'd like to see him out there, but he's got to be the best to be out there. Can't make mistakes on the defensive side of the football. You've got to learn the schemes and do the things. But he's a great football player. He's played the great football program, and his time will come. And then we had uh, one other question from Lloyd about offensive linemen. Uh, does running the air raid offense have anything to do with not getting, and he means by recruiting, better offensive linemen? I don't really think Graham Harrell cares about running the ball. And protecting the quarterback leaves a lot to be desired these last few years. If they can't get better offensive linemen, maybe they should look for a dual-threat quarterback, kind of like Sam Darnold, the one that saved Helton. Uh, that's from Lloyd. But any thoughts on recruiting offensive linemen in the system, Coach? Well, let me tell you, <clears throat> great football teams uh, run and pass the football, okay? You've heard me talk about this every year. And if I'm a great offensive lineman, I know that my success is going to be in the NFL if I can do both. Now, USC, when they have the right players, don't have any problem getting players into the NFL. You take Jackson and you take Turner, these kids uh, didn't have any problem going in the first round. So what it does, it all comes down to drafting and having the right players and making sure you get these players. And if you don't think big and if you don't give these players an opportunity to improve on what your schemes are and what you're doing, then you're hurting yourself as far as not being able to run the football, not being able to develop players, and not being able to what you call recruit. So you've got to be able to do and show a great offensive lineman that you can develop him into being a great run blocker and being a great pass blocker. You can't just have 50% of the game. And I think right now that's what they're fighting and recruiting, and that's what they're fighting on the field when players watch them play. 
They're pass blocking most of the time. And great players have got to learn to do run blocking and pass blocking and do them both well. So until I think they get back to more of a running type of game and getting off the football and and uh, being that type of attitude of an offensive football team, I think it's going to be very difficult to recruit the five-star offensive lineman. Because the five-star offensive lineman wants to develop on both both his techniques, run blocking and pass blocking. And I think this is what's facing them. And until they make this change as far as the philosophy of the offense completely, I think it's going to be difficult. I don't care who the offensive line coach is. Uh, all right, coach, um, kind of along those lines about uh, wide, about offensive sets, we got a question. Uh, I think this is our buddy Curtis. Here, let me play it for you. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley with a call for the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, with the offensive set that we usually run, four wide receivers, one running back, and five linemen, how would you handle blocking as far as the run game versus two down linemen or three down linemen? That's all we're going to get the whole season. They're dropping seven and dropping eight to slow cook our passing game and we have to run on it. Please tell us how you would attack those two down linemen or three down linemen. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Fight on. Well, you know, uh, I agree with you. That's what the Trojans have seen. Uh, Bringing three and dropping eight, making it more difficult. They're trying to take away what the Trojans do, and that's pass the football, which makes sense. You're going to run a defense that stops what a team does and make them do something they don't want to do. So they want to try to make the Trojans run the football, not throw the ball every down. And if they can stop them in first down, especially in second down, well, it's a third down long situation where you don't now basically throw the ball for sure. Excuse me. So what they should do is make it part of their their philosophy. Uh, I think that's the best way to, to say this. And you've got to be able to uh, be able to run the football. You've got to be able to put your tight end in a position where you have that blocker. If it's not a tight end, you better have a, a two-back set or an H-back of some type and be able to uh, uh, get that yard or get that five yards and, and believe in it and do it and not just make it something you do to keep the defense off it. Uh-uh, honest. Do it because you do it well. Do it because you want to run the football. And do it and take make sure your quarterbacks are, as, as we mentioned, athletic, as the other gentleman did. I mean, you don't have to be a, a sprinter, but you should continue the fake or keep the perimeter honest to the outside where everybody doesn't collapse to the inside. And that's what everybody does. So you've got to be able to, you know, Take advantage of what you can do and what you believe in, and what that what does that bring to your offense? Play action pass, play action pass. When you when they know you run the football, play action pass is a gimme. It just adds so much and protects your quarterback. I tell you, what happens when you stand back there all the time and try throw from the cup is they know where you are. And, you know, when they know where you are, they come after you. And, it, it, and Slovis has been hurt. I mean, JT Daniels got knocked out. I mean, you know, you can't lose your quarterbacks like this. 
JT goes down to Georgia, and they treat him a little bit different, not like a prima donna. He goes down there, and they put him in a running game situation right now. And if you happen to watch any of these interviews, he's talking about uh, it was a big change to him to go somewhere else where he wasn't a Gatorade player of the year and had to learn to compete and earn his stripes. Well, you know, that's the same thing with everybody and the same thing with uh, the running game. You know, you've got to have that to make your great players look even better. And that way you have a complete team and everybody's working on the same plane. So, you know, just series, football series. I mean, you don't run half of a series. You run a complete series. That way people don't know what you're going to do. All right, Coach, thanks for uh, that one. We have uh, – this was a, little old, a question uh, before you kind of went on the hiatus. Uh, but it has to do with the offensive line or offensive lineman too. So I'm going to play it for you and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hi, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. This call is for Ryan and the coach. I want you guys to tell me what we should do with Maximus Gibbs, the ginormous lineman out of Bosco, Texas. No, St. John Bosco, forgive me. I'm sure he's been coached well while he's there. He started all the time. And like I said, he is gigantic. Back by Snoop Dogg, being trained uh, by lineman coaches now on, on uh, you know, the private side. He, the question is his weight and his size. He's so big. Are they going to try to trim him down? Or what are they going to do? Because, uh, like Harvey Hyde likes to put that big guy that scares you to come off the bus first, I don't think this guy could get through the door. Curtis from Moreno Valley. <laughs> yeah. Curtis, you're right. He'll have a tough time getting off the bus door, I'll tell you. He's he a, is a big kid. He is a very big kid. And, uh, you know, I, I think coaches like him, but I think he's someone that's going to have to change his body before he gets out on the field. I mean, he wasn't even like a full-time starter at Bosco when I went to a couple of games in the spring. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of upside there, but he's going to have to, you know, slim down a little bit. Right. And, uh, you know, they had him at the right position. They had him at a guard where, uh, he basically did a lot of screen blocking where basically the kids in high school couldn't see around him. And uh, and he was so big on pass blocking that you couldn't get around him. He did move better than I thought he could move as far as I watched him pull at times on the counter sweeps and different things. He plays uh, to his ability as far as hard, but he has a lot of body to move around. And when you have a lot of body to move around, it's difficult and strenuous on you and so on, and I think that what he basically needs is a redshirt year, which would be something great for him. It gives him another year of, of academic work and it gives him a chance to get himself ready to go. But he's a gigantic kid, and uh, he's a he's a what you call a he's a kid that uh, is a kid you got to develop, and you got to put him in a place where he can be successful as far as a position. Uh, it's uh it's a it's a it's it's a different type of thing when you take a kid like that it really is but he had offers wanted to go to USC he's at USC now that's it's there they took it for a reason 
and they know uh, that he is gigantic. He needs to get in shape. Can he go a full game? Uh, is he going to be able to position block like he did in high school? Uh, these are the things we're going to find out about. Are they going to throw him in there right away? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll kind of watch his development, especially when they put the pads on, see how he looks out there. Hard to see the one-on-ones because they are, when they do the one-on-ones of the linemen, they're way on uh, Brian Kennedy Field and when we're on the Aquatic Center. So we're you know maybe 130 yards away from where they're doing that. So those are hard to see, and they don't really let us use binoculars up there. So, uh, But we'll try to keep watching uh, Maximus Gibbs and see how he looks. But thanks for that one, Curtis. Uh, I know he sent that in quite a while ago, but I wanted to uh, play it for you, Coach. And I got one more um, voicemail about the run defense. Let me play it for you. Hey, Paris Style, it's uh, Anthony in L.A. Uh, just wanted your take on this. With Marlon gone and the running backs we're going to face in the conference, Washington State, Arizona State, Cal, UCLA, how do you think we hold up with our interior run defense? Uh, yep, so I just want to get your thoughts and uh, fight on. Well, you know, the way you get better is you practice against run, and that's another concern you've heard me talk about a lot. If you don't see a lot of running game or teams that run against you uh, all the time in practice, it's difficult for you to react. It's difficult for you to tackle properly, protect the perimeter, uh, go down the line of scrimmage if you're a linebacker and and take your hole and and all of the above and penetrate or do what you got to do on the defensive side of the football and stop to run. So they really don't get the opportunity to practice as much in a live type of scrimmage situation as they should to become a better run defensive football team. And if your if your offense runs the football a lot and does it well. Well, that helps your defense as far as getting better also because they've got to stop the run. Now, if you go against a team like Arizona State or some of these teams that are really going to run the football, uh, they're good. They've got their four offensive linemen back. They've got two or three of the best offensive linemen in the country. They've got a great athletic quarterback. I mean, they got guys that can play. So you've got to be ready to take on that type of offense. So the only way you get it basically is practice. Now we talked about the individual depth and so on earlier. That's something that's there. You've got those players. You lost some players. Everybody loses players. Uh, you, you go out and recruit the best players you can get. And that's what you go with. So, you know, you get your players on the field, you move them around, you put players where they can play, you play a front that maybe is quicker, but not as big. But you find a way to get your players on the field to stop the teams that are doing the things that necessary that they're trying to attack you on and beat you. So uh, that's the way it is. How you're going to be on the defensive front, I don't know. Time will tell. But you certainly have got to get the players you have on the field and make it work for you because you don't have anybody else. All right, Coach. Uh, good stuff. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and answer some more uh, more general questions about what's going on at USC and college football. Back in a minute. New CBS Sunday. 
You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're back here on the Parastel Podcast. We've got the coach, Harvey Hyde. Got some questions. There's a bunch of them that have piled up, coach, since we haven't had you on for a while, so they're, they might be all over the place. Uh, our buddy Don wrote in about the hot seat. He says, why do all these sites keep talking about Clay Helton being on the hot seat? Haven't they been watching USC the last few years? He has under, has under He's had underperforming teams every year, and he's still here. Uh, as a knowledgeable USC fan and journalist, do you consider him to be on the hot seat. What do you think, Coach? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> I, I would think if the school philosophy is to compete with this new uh, realignment that's going on and and move on and play with the Southeastern Conference and what the ACC is doing and the mergings of conferences and so on and be a front-runner in recruiting and so on, people are waiting to see what's going to happen. I think people are waiting to see what's going to happen there as far as season tickets, contributions, and the whole thing. I think it's really, really important that this year uh, something is determined. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I don't think an eight, 8-4, eight, 8-5, or 8-4 season is going to be good enough. I think that people want to uh, see exactly the results that they expect. Uh, they've lost a lot of season ticket holders. They're coming up with new ideas as far as getting people out there. Uh, people are tired of uh, drinking the Kool-Aid. People want to see performance. People want to see and get back that image of what USC football is all about. Nothing about if you like coach, you don't like coach. I like coach. But what is on the, what's the product going to be on the field? You know, you sort of get tired of hearing, these are nice kids, we play hard, we did that, we had a great game, uh, this and that. They don't want to hear that. They want to see it. They want to see all of the things. They want to be not told that. They want to be able to recognize that. So I think it's a it's a really, really huge season for USC, especially with the schedule they have. They have three games that are going to be key, and that's Utah at home. And I think Utah is a very physical football team and going to be a better football team than they were last year. I think Notre Dame and Notre Dame is going to be a very difficult team to beat because they've had trouble beating them in the first place. And then again, you've got Arizona State, which I think, uh, if they get through all the controversy in the NCAA and all of that, is maybe the best team in the Pac-12. They've got uh, their offensive line back. They've got all the running backs back. They've got a great quarterback back. They've got almost everybody on defense back. I'm telling you. They're good. They lost their punter, so they got to find a punter. And when you have to go to Tempe, that's a difficult place to play. So, you know, those are three key games, and you better win all three of those or come up because the other guys, too, not win all three of them, but you better win two of the three or show up. Otherwise, you're in bad shape because the other teams are going to be teams that the Trojans are going to be favored in. They're going to be favored in all of those football games, probably even Utah. That's going to be the main test, the first test that the Trojans are going to have because if they're not 5-0 and going to that game, 
I'll tell you, there's going to be problems over there with the Trojan football program. But their first five games, they should win. If they don't win that, there's no excuse about that. So that's how I feel. I think you'll know real early exactly what's going to happen with Trojan football. But don't take UCLA for granted. UCLA is better. So don't take them for granted. Yeah, I agree with you there, Coach, and he certainly is on the hot seat. There's not like an official hot seat like the NCAA recognizes. It's really just about what, you know, we take the pulse of the fans and the media of what's going on. Yes, there's a lot of pressure on Clay Helton again, and it's been that way for years. Um, but I, I agree with you. This is the year the rubber hits, you know, hits the road. Um, there's not going to be any kind of COVID stuff where you can make excuses. Um, and you know, it's going to be perform or I, I believe the university, the, the athletic department would make a move, but I, I've thought they would the last couple of years. They haven't done it. So I've been wrong before, but we'll see. Uh, Michael has a question about NIL. He wrote NLI. So NLI is national letter of intent. NIL is name, image, and likeness. Um, is there any pro, uh, prohibition for a university, um, to pay, is it prohibiting for university to pay their players to promote the university's brand? And could this lead to direct payments from a university to their student athletes? Um, yeah. So this isn't pay for play that the university can't hire the, from my, my understanding, they can't hire their student athletes to promote their brand. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I don't believe that's a loophole around NIL, even though there's not like all these official um from the NCAA, there's not like official rules of, of what can happen, but I, yeah, I don't, this is not going to be about pay for play. It's about other companies, other people paying the players for their name, image, and likeness, not the university itself. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I personally don't like it. Uh, a lot of people probably like it, but, uh, you know, I, I think that the school's giving the kid a scholarship. The kid is, uh, you know, got privileges, uh, as far as with the nutrition, the, uh, academics got everything okay get almost, almost every kid's getting their degree and also a lot of getting their master's degree now now what if uh coach gets a call and says well i can't be there today coach because i got a shoot going on i gotta have a shoot going on with my uh commercial i'm doing or i got a movie shoot or i got this or i got that i mean uh, you're going to school to get a degree i thought and also play a little football, which pays for the degree. Now you got a job as far as trying to get promotions and this and that. I mean, yes, it's it's legal to do it. So I can't stand in the way of that. It's my philosophy, but it's going to be who's going to keep track of it? Who's going to uh, tell the kid about the income tax uh, and this and all the other things that are going to do? There's a lot of different things now a kid is going to have to be aware of and be a part of his college as far as not only being the study hall and practice schedules and off-season workouts, now he's discussing and talking about not winning football games. He's talking about agents and talking about marketing companies. And this is all of a sudden now entered into his curriculum as far as part of college. So, yes, you have to deal with it. But do I like it? No. Yeah, so we'll see. We haven't heard a lot on the USC side about uh, NIL deals, but I'm sure we'll hear more. And then, you know, players don't have to say anything. If uh, some car dealership's going to pay them some money to, to do something, then um, that's going to be on their own, you know, their own time and their own business. So uh, we, we might not hear about some of these deals, but um, we'll keep you updated on what we do here. We had a bunch of questions, Coach, on USC potentially going 
independent, the Texas-Oklahoma move to the SEC, what it could mean. There was a meeting between the Big 12, uh, Commissioner Bob Bowlesby and uh, and uh, George Klyovkov, the, the new Pac-12 commissioner, and you know what this all means for USC. But like Alex in L.A. wrote in about it. Don wrote in about it. Junior from Moreno Valley about you know merging or adding other teams or how you would schedule if things went independent. But it's, so just in general, kind of get your thoughts on you know where USC is in this whole uh, potential conference realignment and the kind of position USC is in, where you you think it's going to go or where you would like USC to go. Well, I think it's a, a part of a philosophy of what uh, the president, the regents, and all of them, what do they want out of their football program? an athletic program. Uh, I think that as the new commissioner says, he's going to spend a lot more time where they are in emphasizing football and basketball, the income produ- producing sports. Not that it isn't a conference of champions, but it certainly is. But money has now been become such a big part of college athletics and universities that uh, the winning and losing factors where it's all at and and uh, you, when you win, uh, you can compete and you can recruit. And uh, right now, Oklahoma and Texas going to the Southeastern Conference, I think it's it's uh, something that, uh, you know, you see it happening when they're going to increase their their uh, income. But there's no loyalty in any type of sports. There's no loyalty in coaching. There's no loyalty in anything. So all these years of tradition and so on means nothing, okay? means nothing. So... Uh, these schools are going to be a part of something else, but I think there's a great future for the Pac-12, and I think there's a great future for the Big Ten if both of them decide to merge and put together and take the remaining part of the of the Big 12 and make him a part of their conference, because they'll have everyone knows that the Big Ten makes more money than anybody, and they'll have the largest audience area as far as in the nation from the East Coast to the Midwest, include the East Coast, too, when you think about Rutgers and maybe somebody else, when the uh, Southeastern Conference and ACC will have the Southeast as far as the dominance of their television package and so on. And I would think it just makes sense that the Pac-12 does expand and the Big Ten does expand. And they take the teams from the, not all of them, but they take the teams that make sense as far as uh, to uh, the Pac-12 teams that will add to Texas, philosophy Texas Tech or TCU, uh, probably the Big Ten. They should go after Notre Dame. You've got a Kansas State in Kansas. You've got an Oklahoma State. Iowa State should go to the Big Ten, but you've got Iowa there. Be another rivalry. Notre Dame, Purdue. I think you could put together two pretty good conferences that have a huge area of where you put together an AFC and an NFC. So the Big Ten, the Pac-12 would be, like I'm using this term, it'd be East, West, whatever you want to call it. But like the NFL has done, you got an AFC and an NFL, or NFC, so the other two conferences would be one and the others would be the other. And you have your games during the year. Each teams have, each conferences have 16 teams, break it down and and a certain type of of uh conferences where they play each other and uh, maybe from the outside remaining group of people that are out there maybe take one or two at-large teams to make the playoffs so that everybody isn't left out and uh, 
I think it'd be uh, it'd be great, and maybe Fox would get involved in television more, and maybe you'd have Fox and ESPN uh, going against each other, and then you'd have great playoffs. And I think the Rose Bowl should consider giving up their date of two o'clock on January the first and reverse it, where they have the game on. December 31st uh, afternoon, evening, and the parade the next morning. And then they're guaranteed the playoff game every year, the championship game, so that it's in a traditional college football stadium in Southern California with great weather, where people want to come. You make it a big hurrah. And uh, by giving up that date, they get something. So I think in the long run, it's going to be who wants to be the players and who doesn't. Who wants to step up and who doesn't. If the Pac-12 doesn't want to step up or, or go that way, then maybe USC should leave the Pac-12 and show that they want to be who people want them to be. Don't talk about it. Show it. And that's by making bold moves to make these things happen and put the money and get the coaching and the responsibility on the football and basketball programs to generate the interest that gives the university its pride and great recruits to go there. Wow, Coach. So so you would like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to essentially merge and then pick up some of the pieces of the Big 12 and have this huge conference. That's right. Two great conferences. Yep. And then maybe the SEC and the ACC would merge and you'd have like... Right. Yeah. Uh, it would bring us closer to like a, a governing body for college football because right now it's all about the conferences and no one's oh, doing definitely, what's be- definitely, no definitely. one's doing what's best you for the sport. You got to have a commissioner. Yeah, You're exactly right. You got to have a commissioner in an office that runs the whole thing, just like the NFL. And all of a sudden, college football is a miniature NFL. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's interesting. We'll see what happens there. You actually touched on a question that we got um, because about the Rose Bowl. He wanted to hear what you had to say about expanded playoff that would, uh, what would you do with the Rose Bowl? Could you stay elevant in the off years when the game wasn't part of the playoffs? Well, yeah, I would think, here's what I think. I think that the Rose Bowl uh, should be guaranteed a playoff game, great playoff game, semifinal game on the January the 1st or whatever, or quarterfinal game. And then play it in the evening, afternoon, because that's that they want that two o'clock time on the first, and then have the parade the next day, and then the Rose Bowl be guaranteed by giving up that date. They're guaranteed the championship game two weeks later, or whenever that time is, in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, the great traditional game where college football should be played with all the great traditions there, rather than an NFL stadium. All right, and we have one last topic, Coach. Uh, John from Oakland wrote in. It's pretty long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but about the Reggie Bush, uh, the NCAA, uh, his Heisman. Uh, if you remember, the uh, he demanded his Heisman back. He's been very involved in that. The uh, Heisman Trust said, uh, basically, they hid behind the NCAA saying that the trust rules uh, don't make him eligible uh, for the Heisman Trophy. Um and then the NCAA came out and, and said the thing that they were going to be restoring his records and his lawyers blasted the NCAA. It's been this big sort of mess. Uh, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, all of this, Coach, and uh, if you think it's possible that Bush does get his Heisman back. Absolutely. <clears throat> he should demand it. 
Uh, first of all, I wasn't for giving it up in the first place. If you remember, we have a regular listeners. I thought that was ridiculous to ask them to send that back and the university to send that back. That was a political type of move to keep people so happy about it so that they would lift their sanctions and all that. Hey, the NCAA, you know, that's an NCAA. Oh, we can't give his records back. We can't do this. First thing I'd do is make a date right now where you plan on putting his number up, having him back and welcoming him back to the Coliseum formally, formally have it be a big event. How many players do you hear they say they go to USC or they want to be like Reggie Bush? Tell me something. How many? How about steps last year running into the end zone and, and, and shaking his hand or handing the ball? They couldn't wait to give a 15-yard penalty. Only because it was Reggie Bush. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, kids love uh, him as a player. They want to be like him. Certainly there were some inquiries and some problems there, but the type of sanctions that were given to USC were ridiculous by the NCAA how about giving his Heisman Trophy back? Are you kidding me? I would have never given that back. And the university never did fight any of those things. They just sat back and let him hammer on them and give him those sanctions and send back the trophies. Ridiculous. All of that ridiculous. I think the Trojan family would agree with me. Ridiculous. Stand up and fight for your beliefs and your players and what you believe in. And, uh, yeah, I think they should give it back, and the NCAA better get off their high horse, or they won't be around long either. Because what are they gonna, what are they gonna, you know, be in charge of anymore? Uh, with all these uh, money-making deals, and and the people can meet anybody they want, and so on. They're just gonna be a a pencil-paper type of place where they organize things. So they better worry about their jobs. Those guys are making big-time money, and. Uh, and the New York Athletic Association, what are you guys doing back there, the athletic club? My goodness, come on, give me his trophy back, and all the past Heisman Trophy winners should get together and say, hey, he won this on the field. We want him to have it back. Guy was a great player, won a lot of championships. What are you trying to do, ruin a guy's life? I mean, the guy served his term, okay? Give him back his stuff. Agree with you 100%, Coach. Um yeah, so hopefully that happens at some point. That just needs to, that chapter needs to be closed, and they need to, Nancy Dilly need, needs to uh, back off on that one. But, coach, great stuff. Uh, you know, nice hour long podcast to get everything back rolling. We'll look forward to uh, answering more questions, getting more of your thoughts as we go out onto the practice field and uh, check things out uh, for the next uh, few weeks before the season starts. But thanks again, coach, for coming on. Ryan, listen, can I cross promote for a minute? Can of I course. tell everybody too? On uh, Sunday mornings, I'll be starting August the 29th doing a show on KLAA, College Review and Preview, right after the Trojan Games, and uh, we have a scoreboard and everything else. This will be Sunday morning. Uh, that's a.m. 8.30, 10 a.m. If you guys could please check in, I'd appreciate it. I have great guests on it. And, Ryan, anytime I can help you in any other give. And Ryan's always a part of my shows, too, that I do. So we sort of help each other and share the love. Yeah, for sure. Make sure you guys check it out. Uh, I know before you were doing it on Saturdays, and depending on when the game was. So Sunday morning, I like that. So it'll be a little more set time, it sounds like. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'll still do Saturday night, but Sunday morning is the one basically I'm talking about. But that's right here in Southern California. Nice. Okay, awesome, Coach. Well, thanks uh, again for sharing all your insights. We look forward to seeing you out there again. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening 
to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 